Table talk, table talk. Let's play some games with table talk and then talk about them. Hey, this is the Tuesday Night Podcast. I'm Alan Girding, and I am with... Sean McCoy. That is correct. That's Sean McCoy. And we have a New Year's episode for you. SBJ's dead. He's not here with us, unfortunately. So sorry about that. He was unavailable. But New Year's, right, Sean? New Year's. 2017. So I think this is going to be a pretty chill episode. In fact... We don't really have too much planned. I got back from my cruise with Captain Chessbeard. It was a fantastic time, and I think Captain Chessbeard has even chilled out a little bit. It should be a nice, chill episode for the 2017, the first 2017 episode there is. What episode number is this? Good question. That's quality control, right? This is episode 63. Eh, 64. Little thing about me, number 14. When it comes to shopping for the holidays, your friend Alan Girding just buys a whole bunch of the same quality gifts. That way I have them on reserve, so if someone hands me a gift and says, oh, here you go, and I wasn't expecting it, I can just hand them one right back, oh, here you go. Now, Sean, let me ask you, what do you think the 2016 holiday gifts were? They were uh, long sleeve tri-blend tee hoodies that were V-neck that had a Tuesday Night Podcast logo on them. It was a very specific kind of shirt that I could have gotten at random and only known it was designed by you because it has like all of your very specific apparel picadillos, which I thought was kind of funny. Tri-blend hoodie. No, that was a very special gift that I made for you, Sean. That is not what I got everybody else. Oh, I thought you got it for me and SBJ. I did, but SBJ hasn't gotten his yet. Okay. Yeah, but he'll hear this episode and he'll be like, oh, I have one. What was it for everybody else? Was it copies of Duel? (laughs) No, that's a good one, though. Not bad. But I always hate doing our own games for gifts because it seems almost like giving someone a picture of yourself, which I thought was also a weird gift. Like, hey, here's a picture of me. Enjoy it. Unless it's a hilarious picture or something. Here it is. I got... Joking Hazard, which is the happiness and cyanide, Cards Against Humanities type game. Monikers, of course. Code names. And Happy Salmon. So you just bought a bunch of copies of those and, and you gave them out sort of at random? Not at random. For the most part, I get specialized gifts because I care. When I give someone a gift, I want them to feel touched and thought of. But this is in case of emergency because there's so many people on your Christmas list that Christmas starts to feel like a deadline instead of a holiday i get those so it doesn't feel like a deadline and since i've done that it really relieves a lot of the pressure because those are really good games and good gifts for almost anybody that was a hard thing christmas this year was the hardest it's ever been we had so many like tuesday night games deadlines coming up at the same time that i completely put off shopping and something about christmas happening on a weekend meant that i didn't have a weekend to shop right before Christmas, if that makes sense. Like, it was a total work week. Totally. But I think this year, I'm either going to bulk buy my favorite book of the year or my favorite game of the year, or both, and have those on reserve, like you said, for white elephants or, or things like that. Like, hey, I really love this book this year. I thought you might like it. Smart. 
Yeah, it works well. I was probably the least stressed out this Christmas than I've been since I can even remember. It may be my least stressful since I was a little kid because I did this and I'm surprised I don't do it every year. While my students are taking their final exams, I just went on Amazon and shopped till I dropped. Smart. So I just set aside like, oh, I'm gonna shop while I'm supposed to be watching these students take their tests. And that gave enough time for deliveries for most of the items because of the holiday craziness. I got this ring for my wife that she wanted. It's not showing up for another two weeks. I get this notification after notification. Oh, it's been delayed, it's been delayed, which I didn't even think was a thing. Apparently it is. We had a great Christmas and plenty of presents under the tree and everything, but all of us had gifts that had not arrived yet for people. And so we said, instead of just like giving them to us when they arrive, take them, wrap them, we'll get together on the fifth and we'll just unwrap them then. We'll have like a mini little thing at the end there too. And if you had gifts that didn't arrive, we'll just open them then. And I thought that was kind of funny. One golden thing about my nuclear family, my mother, my father, we like to celebrate after Christmas. So for the Christmas holiday, I celebrate it with my wife's family, but then we come back and they love that because then everything is on sale. So we all just agree, <laughs> hey, if we delay Christmas just a few days, doesn't even have to be a full week, everything's on super sale and you save yourself more money than you probably do on Black Friday. Not bad. This is what a lot of people did. I thought it was endearing is they wrapped boxes, small little boxes, and you opened them and it was a picture of the Amazon gift that was on its way. And that was really cool because of traveling. We didn't want to have to pack our bags of gifts from North Carolina and South Carolina on our way back to Ohio. It was just, hey, these are on their way to Ohio, but here's the pictures of them. So when we came back, sure enough, they were waiting for us. Oh, that's cool. Smart. Did, Smart. You, uh, did you get anything cool? I was going to ask you the same thing. Yeah, I got a whole bunch of cool things. My wife got me rattle bones. Ooh, the pirate game? It sounds like it, right? It's not because it has bones in it, whatever, and they rattle. It's a dice building game as opposed to a deck building game. And whoo, I just played it literally two hours ago. I love it. First game through, amazing. Nice. Yeah. I got some other things, a lot of furniture. When you have a house and you're a new house owner, people usually get you house stuff, especially because that's what you ask for. That's what I got. House stuff. How about you, man? Oh, I was thinking there's Rattle Me Bones and Rattle Battle, and they're both pirate games. <laughs> That's so funny. My brother Trevor is really good at the deep vintage stuff. He really likes to get unique stuff that maybe isn't like on your list, but is part of your personality. So he got me these things called Menko cards. Menko cards. He got four of them, and they're vintage pogs, basically, from Japan, from the 60s. Menko cards. And they're, you know, thick cardstock cards, like a tile, essentially. And it's played exactly like Pogs, where you flip them down and you try to knock the other guys. You try to flip his card over. Mingle cards. Some of them are foil. They have all this weird art. And, it, you know, it was a huge deal. And I watched some videos of how people did a good job of it online. It was super interesting. It made me think there should be this in real life. We should do this as like a thing for conventions and stuff like that. He got me an old AD&D action figure. Ooh. A very easy gift to get for me. There are all sorts of miniatures. I don't mean like high quality miniatures. I mean like old fantasy pewter figurines or plastic army men style like ghouls and goblins. Just like little quirky miniatures. And you can get knockoffs or vintage ones or new ones. 
as long as they're just weird and different. And he always gets me a bunch of those, and I love it because I can just put them in a box and use them for my D&D campaign. Because it's not important to me right. that they match. What's important to me is that we have a bunch of unique, quirky-looking ones. So he got me stuff like that, which I really appreciated. Sounds like he was the big winner this Christmas if he always gets really personable gifts. He does. It's cool. Well, he likes shopping on like eBay, and there's like a vintage toy store in town. He looks for stuff like that. One year, I bought him, somebody was selling a lot of, like, 50 unopened Tick figurines. Oh, <laughs> like I love the TV the show, tick. The Tick. that was the only thing I got him that year <laughs> was just like every gift he opened was like a tick action figure or a tick character. You know, they weren't all the same, but I thought that was pretty funny. And he like freaked out. I think that's my goal when I get a gift is the more the person cries, the better. That's the Christmas gift you can get me. <laughs> I want someone to say as they're opening up an Alan Girding Christmas gift, you better not. You better not have done it this year. I'm, I'm ready for you this year. It's not going to happen this year. Then they begin to open the gift and as soon as they peek what it is, they do a double take where they slam it shut really quick. No. No. And they open again like, what? What? How did you know? And they take a step back. And everyone else who's seeing this doesn't understand. And they're thinking, what is what is in that box? And all they see is the person's tears. But here's the best part. They pull it out. It's just even more confusing for everyone else. Why? Why does, why does, what is that, a shark tooth? Why is that person crying? You remembered. You remembered. Because it's just this thing that we have. Yeah. I was thinking something was like a, like a picture of their family tied up and held hostage. They just start bawling. Like, why? Why, Alan? Please stop torturing me. Don't open the box. Why? What's in the box? Don't open the box. He's got the upper hand. He's got the upper hand. California, stay away from here. Stay away from here now. Don't, don't, don't come in here. John Doe has the upper hand. Who's in the box? Because I envy your normal life. Put the gun down, David. It seems that envy is my sin. No, what's in the box? Not until you give me the what's gun. What's in the fucking box? Give me the gun. He just told you. We should do some orders of business. Sure. Get it out of the way. Mm-hmm. We have to talk about the Necroboomicon character of the week. What is it? Well, we don't have that many left. We only have three unique characters left. So let's get the paranormalist out of the way. What do you say? Cool. Sure, yeah. Paranormalist it up. All right, paranormalist. There's a red one and there's a blue one. And the paranormalist works great with this Necroboomicon set because we've already talked about the Illuminati and the black card, which can instantly end the game, right? Because if you remember the Illuminati, if you convince them to card share with you, game ends right there and then Illuminati wins. And the black card, how did that work, Sean? The black card, if you color share with it, you lose. Everybody loses and it wins. That's right. Now here's the paranormalist. If you share, doesn't matter if it's a card share or a color share with the paranormalist, and your card has a share ability, much like the black card or the Illuminati, that ability doesn't go off. Instead, the paranormalist gets your card, and therefore you pretty much just lose. So therefore, now here's the curveball of the game, right, Sean? Now if you are the black card, or if you are the Illuminati, now you have to be careful with whom you share. 
because you could be sharing with a paranormalist and that totally turns the tables on you. <laughs> All right. Now, again, we like to say that Necroboomicon is two rooms and a boom on hard mode. It's meant to play with only those people ready for an intense, really traumatic playset. I also designed it so it works well with players with fewer than 11. So you can enable color sharing even if you have fewer than 11 players with this set. But do you still want to color share? Because it's really dangerous if you have them. But anyway. That's the Necroboomicon character of the week. And that Kickstarter is going to be up within July. I'm sorry, January. That was weird. Yeah. Any other orders of business that we should talk about? World Championship Russian Roulette is done printing, and it is being prepared for shipment. I'm supposed to get a quote back. Early this week, we hit that Chinese Christmas holiday right when we were about to ship. And so they were like, well, we get you the numbers right after this week. And so after that, it'll be on the boat heading this way to fulfill. So I'm excited. So it will be fulfilled in February, as of right now. I have, yeah, as of right now. If it gets held up in customs, or if it's on the boat for longer, there's like a million things that could happen. But pirates, it's slated to get here probably close to the end of February. Rattlebone pirates could get it. So hopefully it's safe. I was thinking topic of the episode time, and we would just talk about the transition from 2016 to 2017 in the scope of gaming. What do you think? Sure. Let's do it. Topic time. Excuse me, Sam. Do you have the time? But of course, it be topic time. 2016 was an interesting year for us as a company, I think. Yeah. We were out of stock for almost the entire year until a few days into Christmas of Two Rooms and a Boom. Too long. Too long. Too long. Way too long. But sales have been amazing. In fact, we're running out fast, and so we're about to go back and reorder. We learned a lot of lessons about that. We were really grateful to get World Championship Russian Roulette kickstarted and have it be so successful on Kickstarter. That was cool. Yeah. And also just like a, I would call it like a maturing period for us as a company, like learning more about what we wanted to do and how we were going to execute on those things, try and get the engine running a little bit better to where we're making more games at a time to where we're developing a game and publishing a game and shipping a game and restocking a game because it is really only the two of us and then SBJ doing the podcast. And so it's still a pretty big operation for how small the team is. Um, So this year was a lot of learning about that stuff, learning lessons about how we want to sell and what kind of games we want to make and sort of rededicating ourselves to that. I don't know. Were there any other big lessons you took away from 2016 as a company? Yeah. I just think we're just on an upward growth scale of constantly learning. We're still really new at this, but at the same point, I look back at some of the things we were doing years ago and I'm so glad that we've progressed from there. So still a lot of room for growth but also a lot of room that we have grown. A lot of people are saying 2016, horrible, horrible year. Let me tell you a little bit about a psychological term called the availability heuristic. Heuristic is basically some type of system in which we come to a conclusion. And when people think of memories, They actually just think of the most vivid ones, not actually the most accurate memories. So a lot of people are saying 2016, worst year ever, which first of all, kind of insensitive to the people who live during dark ages. They're called the dark ages. I think there are probably some worse years in there than 2016. But even if you narrow that scope and say, worst year ever in my existence, thinking, well, 
there are some good things. Yeah, we lost David Bowie. We lost Prince. We lost Alan Rickman. The election has a whole bunch of people upset. A lot of crappy things going on. We just lost Carrie Fisher, right? So some celebrity deaths and whatnot. But there was a lot of good things that happened in 2016. Definitely for me. A lot of good friend connections. I went to Dragon Con, had an amazing time. So 2016 for me personally was good and for the company. We'll remember it, but man, I'm excited about 2017 for sure. I was talking to Lindsay about this the other day, the, the quick availability of the news of celebrities dying is having this weird effect where like, I'm constantly being inundated with people dying. And people are gonna die all the time for the rest of my life. And that is a sad us thing. Us included. Us included. Well, maybe you. I'm not sure about me. I'm definitely gonna die before you. That is for sure. <laughs> but it's like, do I need to know? Is my life improved by like having up-to-date uh, information about celebrities who are dying? And you know, in one way, you could say like it's a good way to honor their memories and like the outpouring of fans is like a good thing for their families. And absolutely. But there's also this just weird effect of like we get this weird inflated scale of how bad a year is. If that makes sense. Right. Like I feel like we're getting more news. Yeah, let's let's go to the key example, the availability heuristic. All right. Airplane crashes. Okay. People are scared of airplane crashes. Tell someone, oh my goodness, why are you scared of an airplane crash? They'll mention that airplanes have crashed before. That is correct. But what you're not remembering is all the exponentially greater times that there is no problems with the airplane. Yeah, like uh, like it's way more dangerous to drive a car than it is to be in a, to fly in an airplane by like huge, huge magnitudes. Exactly. It's fascinating that there is this focus on these catastrophic events, shootings, terrorism, but for the most part, crime is at its lowest. Economy's good. Yeah, so it's crazy that people think in these ways, but it's very typical. Because the availability heuristic, and now we know about it too. Before we didn't know about it, now we do. It's tough. The whole the world is going to hell in a handbasket. Feeling is very easy to give into, and that isn't saying that bad things aren't happening. And I think there are bad things that are happening that of course, like, yeah. we're, we're ignorant of or that we're sliding into. Bill Gates usually puts out a good list every year about like, hey, here are the like millions of people who are lifted out of poverty. Here are the like huge leaps we've made in destroying some diseases. A lot of these things that are happening in places that we don't really care about, Africa, right? Where like nations are becoming more industrialized and stronger and their economies are growing. And that's like really amazing, but it's just so far from what we are seeing. Like it's outside of our monkey circle, right? As we would say. And so it's hard for us to care. Yeah. Your Dunbar number. Nice. So looking forward to 2017. Good call. Good call. I'm looking forward to it. Do you have any goals, resolutions, anything that you want to do differently? Anything else? Last night at Yoga, they had us write down something we wanted to manifest in the next year. And I wrote down that I wanted to have more energy and focus during my day. It's weird because I feel like I'm a fairly ambitious person and like a self-starter. But oftentimes, I feel defeated by my own fatigue. And so some of that is stuff that you can address with like sleep, exercise, and diet. And so that's what I want to focus on. And some of that is just having better work habits or even working differently. 
setting aside good hours or setting like short-term goals, things like that. But there's a lot of stuff we want to do as a company. Like I would like to start getting paid this year, like regularly. Oh man, a paycheck would be amazing. I'd like for us to start releasing games at a more regular schedule and pre-marketing them ahead of time. We're getting close to having this idealized to-do list, like a master checklist for every game. You need to start marketing a game X months before you kickstart it, and you need to kickstart it this long before this trade show so you can debut it there. Just having all the little steps in line. And we're getting close because every game we work on, we have a better idea of how long things take, and we have a better idea of what all the steps are. And so really tightening down on that is something I'm really excited about for 2017. You know, there's a lot of people out there that say New Year's resolutions are bullshit, and I can see where they're coming from because my wife is one of them, and she says... SBJ is another. SBJ is another. Yeah, we can call him out. And I see where they're coming from because the idea is if you're going to change something about yourself, why wait to the New Year's? If you're going to do a true lifestyle change, why make it January 1st? It should be something that you've already integrated into yourself. Otherwise, it's artificial. And I can see that. It enables you to party extra hard. Oh, on January 1st, I'm going to join that diet, that gym. I'm going to start being nicer then. So it's December 30th. I'm going to be a dick for the next, you know, whatever. So it's the idea that you can just really exploit your inhibitions and your bad side leading up to it. And then you're setting yourself almost for failure. You've set up this addictive type of behavior. And then when you break just once, like, oh, I'm going to be good on my diet. And then it's a month in and you totally go on a bender. A lot of people surrender then say, well, well, I lasted a month. Screw it. Cancel the gym membership. Cancel the diet. I'm done. I'm going to be a fat slap for another year. Here's the 2018 of getting into shape. So I can see how people are jaded about it. But I'm going to share, if you don't mind, a story that my former employer did. I used to deliver water. Do you remember that, Sean, when I delivered water? Sure. He's, he's like, oh, Alan's telling a story. I'm taking a walk. He said it so far <laughs> in the background. It's awesome. I was upset about Sweetest Day, which... Have you ever heard of, Sean? Have you ever heard of Sweetest Day? I've never heard of Sweetest Day, but I live in the South. Right. So Sweetest Day is a total marketing scam. Can you clarify something for me? It's Sweetest, like the sweetest yes. candy in a... Okay, yeah. Sweetest, I believe. Let me let me double check because I don't want to tell this wrong. I was hearing it like it was like Sweetest. Yeah, Sweetest Day, like S-W-E-E-T-E-S-T. And it's always around October 15th, 16th, 17th. I don't actually know when it is. Screw it. It doesn't matter because here's the thing. It's celebrated in Midwestern United States and almost only the Midwest. Why? Because it's a totally made up holiday by American Greetings, the card company. At some point, they decided, hey, we're just going to put out some ads and say, don't forget this October 16th is Sweetest Day. Don't come home without a gift for your loved one or whatever. And it's basically a ripoff of Valentine's Day. They totally marketed it as a romantic couple's holiday. And the thing was, all of a sudden, no one had heard of it, but they were shamed for not knowing it. Oh, you don't know about Sweetest Day? And some people would come home to their partner or go on a date and their partner would berate them, hey, no gift for Sweetest Day? And for a while, people would say, what the hell is Sweetest Day? And you've never even heard of it because you're from Texas. A lot of people didn't realize that this wasn't actually a real thing because they marketed it 
ingeniously as if it had always been in existence. So I used to deliver water. Minnehaha was the water company. And during this water delivery, I would talk a lot with my employer who owned this water company. And we'd go on road trips doing these deliveries. And I, would, I was telling him, just complaining, man, Sweetest Day is such bull crap. Because now I have to keep track of the calendar and make sure that I don't disappoint my partner on that day. It's just more pressure and it's all made up. It's totally artificial. It's just a marketing scam. And he said, let me shut you up right there and explain something. Anytime someone gives me an excuse to get laid, I'm all about it. <laughs> and that little revelation really made me reconsider it. Oh yeah, well I guess it is another day to almost guarantee getting laid. Sure, yeah. And it's the same thing with Valentine's Day, same thing with anniversaries. You always have two ways to look at it. You can look at all the annoying stuff or you can just look at the sweet, sweet ass reward. And I think that's the same thing that should be said to everyone who perhaps is frustrated with New Year's resolutions. Because you said it best when we were talking, you said, what, are, what were the words? Because you said it way more elegantly than I can say it. You said it's just an opportunity for... Just to be introspective and think about your year and the kinds of things you want to be in the coming year. Yeah, any holiday, any reason for someone to just be introspective, especially when there's so many people out there that can be easily accused of not being introspective, that's great. It's New Year's Day as we're recording this. Truth, truth. Happy January 1st, my friend. Thank you. And business partner. Yeah. I celebrated with a crap ton of games. Should we go into table talk? Sure, yeah. Let's do table talk. It's time for the table talk. What, have you played any games lately, Sean? Yeah, I've played a few games. A lot of people in town and it's the holidays and so I was willing to break out some games. Did you get any playtesting done with the games you've been working on personally? I did, yeah. Super Secret Project X has been played 63 times to date, and a lot of those were over the past couple weeks with friends uh, who are in town. I also played Flamme Rouge. I played Deception nice. Murder in Hong Kong. Me too! You played Murder or Deception? Yeah, we played that last night. Yeah, for oh, New nice. Eve. Yeah. I played Secret Hitler, and I played... Me too! trying to think um i think that was it yeah that was it nice my list as you already know rattle bones mm -hmm. dice of crowns which i'll probably never play again sorry dice of crowns secret hitler monikers woo wee played a crap ton of jock box tv it's just so accessible deception murder in hong kong and insider now not the official insider because when i played insider just did our homebrew, literally just took our business cards and on the back of them wrote mm. insider on the back of one of them, master on the back of another one, left the rest blank. And then we had so many players, I just put in another insider, which really worked well. So you have more than one insider. And then I have a headbands game with a whole bunch of word cards, headbands act up to be specific. And then we just use those cards, played some insider. Yes. Nice. Good stuff. Now, Secret Hitler, we've talked about quite a few times. Was this your first time playing Secret Hitler? Mm-hmm, yep. I actually played it at a friend's house, and I, bu and I bought it afterwards. Oh, really? So you liked it enough to buy it? 
I loved it, and I'm probably getting rid of my copy of The Resistance, because I'm trying to do this, like, does a thing deserve a space on my shelf type of thing, and if there's a game that's so similar to another game and just does it better, I'm just gonna do the thing and, like, get rid of the old game. So the easiest description that I've heard many times about Secret Hiller is, it is The Resistance with Werewolf mixed in. And it's got some Avalon in there, too. You've got the ability to, like, to kill a person, right? And don't you want to do that in Avalon? Like, you want to, like, kill Morgan or somebody like that? Uh, that happens if the game ends, then you can still win it by choosing gotcha. someone. Kind of like Deception, Murder in Hong Kong. If you're playing the witness, the witness knows who the murderer is. If the investigators win in Deception, Murder in Hong Kong, then the murderer gets to guess who they think the witnesses. Oh, it's got that like little insider thing almost. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So it's weird because insider, deception, murder in Hong Kong, secret Hitler. There's definitely this running theme we've got going on in our very common list of games that we've been playing and enjoying lately. But you got rid of resistance, eh? Yeah, I think I will, yeah. I really liked Secret Hitler. I even love the box, which I know you don't love, but I think oh, it's... Oh, I love the box. I think oh, the you box do? is sweet. The, the shape is very awkward. I love the shape because it's this weird modern... So you know I love the old boxes like Clue, Monopoly, yes. Heroes Quest. I love how big and horizontal they are, and it's got this widescreen feel, and we don't make boxes like that anymore. The standard size is the 12 by 12 square box, right? Um, which I don't have any feeling towards one way or the other, but this is like a smaller version that still fits on the shelf of those like older horizontal widescreen style boxes. And I was like, man, I kind of wish more boxes were actually shaped this way. I don't wish that this was the outlier. I wish this was the standard and the weird 12 by 12 box was the outlier. I think that's the only thing annoying for me is it's not big enough to be actually one of those throwback boxes because it's a miniature version of that. Because the board size, yeah. Yeah, it's the board size. So it's just like uh, probably 14 inches long and I don't know, four inches wide. Whereas when you're talking Hero Quest, you're looking at two and a half inches, feet. Yeah. yeah, it's ridiculously They're long. huge for sure. Huge. I just, yeah, I liked seeing some experimentation there. It's It feels like compact and solid. It's obviously very gorgeous. The components are great. It made me real, like, I mean, people have always said this about Cards Against Humanity, so it's not like a new critique. Cards Against Humanity wasn't a new game. It's kind of the Steve Jobs Apple thing, which is like, yeah, a lot of this technology already exists. We just figured out a way to market it and put it in a package that the customers really wanted. And it's not like Apples to Apples was like a indie game and neither was the resistance, right? Like these are huge games right. and they tweak these things and tweak the presentation and market it correctly and they're big successes. Now I don't want to take away from any of that because that stuff is hard to do and pretty much nobody else in the board game industry knows how to do it as well as they do. So it would be it would be stupid to say like, well, they just changed it and all of a sudden had a huge hit. It's like, well, you go tweak a game and make a huge hit and then we'll talk, right? But from a game design perspective... These are really good developments, but I don't know if it's been proven. I haven't played Slap 45, but I don't know if it's been proven that this team can make a brand new game from scratch, like with new and interesting mechanics. Is that fair to say, you think? Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Slap 45 fell short. You don't really hear about it at all anymore. And you didn't hear about it too much once it came out. It's not a bad game. It's just not and I'm some... definitely not making a judgment call that they can't do it. It just hasn't been seen, right? Right. The thing I love most about Secret Hiller, I said it once and I'll say it again, is the room for deniability. So there's less room for contention in Secret Hitler because if you play a fascist policy, which in the resistance is the equivalent of failing a mission, uh -huh. you have a lot of reasons to do so. You could say, 
I didn't have a choice. The only policies that were drawn of the three or of the two I was provided were both fascist policies. There's also the degree of removal in that, well, I chose the fascist policy because I wanted the ability. I wanted to be able to look at someone's team card or I want to be able to kill who I think is Hitler. Which thematically actually makes a lot of sense, right? Like the more power you give an authoritarian government, the more that government can do very powerful things. But if it's, it all depends on who's wielding that power, right? So like if a liberal is using a fascist power, that's really good for the liberals, right? Yeah, it, it definitely is that seasoning that puts it up when you can actually feel the theme in the game. Because with resistance, you could feel the theme, but it was very simple. Good guys versus bad guys, going on missions, pass, fail. I've definitely played with groups with the resistance where they have to tell the story. Like, oh, we're going on a three-person mission. What's the mission? And they actually spend a time making it almost a storytelling game. We are going to go to the library of the Senate. Ugh. And we're going to go ahead and set up bombs, Guy Fox style, V for Vendetta. You know, so. I hate that stuff. I hate it in the werewolf too. Like, well, what do you do in the village? It's like, fuck you, buddy. Like, <laughs> I raise my hand and murder people. Like, that's all I do. <laughs> Please get off my ass. So that's a stretch. But in Secret Hitler, it fits right there. I'll agree with that. Now, let me ask you the hard question. So, love that game. Mm hmm. Deception Murder in Hong Kong or Secret Hitler? Like, which one is better than the other? Yeah. It's tough. I mean, they're they're different games for sure. So they can both exist happily. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. But Resistance can't exist with Secret Hitler in your world. Shelf Not in my wise. world. Yeah. Right. Not just based on that. Secret Hitler is a better presentation. It's easier to explain. Well, you're the Resistance, which is the good guys, and the spies are the bad guys. I don't know. I haven't played enough Mysterium, and one thing I like about Mysterium is the like weird abstract art cards. I feel like when you... When I tell people about that, they're very interested, like, ooh, a ghost and abstract art cart. Like, that's so cool. But I loved Deception. Just from, like, the Chinese or Cantonese text to the, like, the story is emergent. I was the murderer, and my means was radiation, and my clue was ants. You know, all the information that the forensic scientist played was, like, he was trying to tell people that I was the murderer by saying the personality of the murderer was a pervert. The motivation was love, and the victim was a male, and cause of death was poisoning, and that it took a long time. And so I was trying to get people to believe that it was my brother, because he had injection as one of the means. And he kept saying, like, I think radiation poisoning takes a long time. And I kept saying, no, I mean, radiation poisoning pretty much just melts your face off overnight, man. It's totally, totally, totally how it is. Um, (laughs) But when the game was over, it was very easy to look back and say, okay, so probably they found a corpse. The reason we know that it was radiation poisoning was that all these ants died and this whole ant hill died because they had eaten the corpse. It had killed all the ants in this entire ant colony. It's not like a super solid story, but like it's there to pick up if you want. The game is just the game, but you could see these little connections. Even if they're random, the story still emerges from these random facts. Well, it's interesting because we just talked about you saying, fuck you, buddy, when we were having the story of the villagers and what do you do in the village with werewolf. So this is something that I think, and you can correct me wrong, if we force that, well, what's the story of the murderer? You would say, screw you, if you force that in there. But if the mechanics tend to encourage that in your own mindset, then it seems okay. Well, there's like, it's emergent. You play the game however you want to play the game. And if you look back on it, you can see that there was a story there. If you connect the pattern a certain way, 
And werewolf, it just seems like nonsense to me <laughs> to be like, well, what do you do in the village? It's like, oh, I'm the baker. Like, how do you use that to play the game at all? It makes sense. I think there's room for people to disagree for sure. Absolutely. My apologies for those that don't know how deception, murder, and Hong Kong works. This is how it goes down. There is one forensic scientist that knows who the murderer is. All the other players have four clue cards in front of them and four means cards in front of them. The forensic scientist tries to communicate to the other investigators who amongst them is the murderer without any words, with only tokens they place upon cards which have other words. Anyway. <laughs> it's a great it's a great game, man. I really love it. But hey, where can we find you, Sean? You can find me on Twitter at at Sean McCoy, S-E-A-N-M-C-C-O-Y. You can follow the podcast at PlayTKG on the Twitters. And if they want to write in with their own responses, perhaps what is your favorite of the social deduction games that we talked about, where should they write us, Sean? Podcast at TuesdayNightGames.com. Smelled with a K! He's back! Where can they find you? I'm Alan Gerding. A-L-A-N-G-E-R-Ding. I'm on the tweets at Alan Gerding, and you can look me up on the Facebook. I'll accept any friend request. And I believe with that, this episode is... Finished! Thanks. It's so easy to talk, man. It's just us hanging out. <laughs> <laughs>